and welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to episode 103 of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, I have the great pleasure of chatting with Scott Wolf. Scott has so much incredible information to share about Disney, and that's because he started with Disney in 1988, working on the hit series DuckTales and later on Tailspin. Not long after, Scott became recognized as a photographer, which gave him the opportunity to officially photograph several of Disney's special events. You can even find many of Scott's photos in two photography books that were sold by Disney in the 1990s. Even after leaving Disney, Scott remained actively involved with the Disney Archives and D23. Throughout the last uh, more than 30 years, Scott's work has given him the chance to meet, interview, and even form friendships with some incredible Disney legends and icons, many of whom we'll discuss in this two-part episode. Scott's dedication to learning Disney history is so vast that I probably only knew about 5% of the stories Scott shared in our discussion. If you love Disney and especially especially Disney history, I believe you'll find our conversation to be absolutely fascinating. So in part one of our discussion, Scott and I are going to chat about his work at Disney, about the Disneyland Ambassador Program, how Scott came to meet Richard and Robert Sherman, some stories about Walt Disney himself, and about Scott's friendship with Imagineer Harriet Burns. As I mentioned, I think you'll find it to be incredibly fascinating and interesting, and I can't wait for you to hear these stories. At the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels, and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So, grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer Podcast. Scott Wolf's official Disney work includes everything from the production team of Disney's original DuckTales and Tailspin animated TV series to writing 700 or over 700 online articles about Disney history for the Disney Archives D23 website. His Disney photography has appeared in numerous books, newspapers, and other publications, including two of his own Disney authorized photo books featuring his favorite subject, the small details of the Disney parks. He has been hired by various departments within the Walt Disney Company for his knowledge of Disney history, much of which stems from interviews he's personally recorded with those who have been an important part of Disney history. I'm certainly very excited to chat with Scott because I feel like it's a similar personality to to me and, and a lot of things I love to do. So with that, I'd love to welcome Scott Wolf to the show. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I Such really a appreciate pleasure. it. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'm glad that um, mutual friend of the show introduced us. And as we were talking before we started recording, I was reviewing all of your. Uh, the one thing I didn't get yet is the Disney photo books, which I'm looking forward to. But the uh, all of the video series that you produced and everything you've written, and it's just so and in, in, uh, apparent how much you love. Disney and how knowledgeable, like, I feel like the more I learn about Disney, the more I feel like I don't know anything. 
Um, I feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely reviewing everything that you uh, you share and all the knowledge you have. I'm thinking my my knowledge is one or two percent of of everything oh. you're you know. So uh, obviously very excited to chat with you. And I wanted to start by talking about how you even got involved with Disney. You talk I mentioned in the bio. You know you worked on on Ducktales and Tailspin. Of course, a couple of favorites. So how did you end up working on those TV series? You know, I always wanted to work for Disney. And I remember before I ever worked for Disney, I once snuck into the studio and wandered around. I was very nervous I'd get caught, but I found <laughs> my way to the archives. And I remember peeking in and they had at the time this wooden Pinocchio, which was used for the uh, animators reference. But uh, someone said hi to me. It was really nice. And I just kind of said hi and quickly left because I didn't want to get caught, you know. But I um, I started my job at Hanna-Barbera Studios. They're the company that you probably know, but for those who don't, they did the Flintstones and the Jetsons and Yogi Bear. Now, this was in the 80s, so those were already well-established. And uh, I was working on Popeye and Son and uh, Foofer, um, and I was just a production assistant. But um, I also did a little bit of work on the Smurfs on storyboards where I would work with a storyboard artist. And uh, this was like a side job because he didn't like to write on the storyboards. They would draw and then they were to either cut and paste from the script, the dialogue underneath, or they would actually handwrite it in. And he didn't like doing that. So he hired uh, a guy to type it. And um, I was only, I started as a temp at Hanna-Barbera and that was one of the things this guy did as a side job. It was employee benefits is where that was. And I just kept on going with it and I learned how to do it on computers. And I, I figured out a way to do it on these little labels and post the labels of dialogue under each panel of the storyboard. And um, I, that's how I met the team at the Smurfs as I would go and deliver it to them. So at the end of the season, uh, when all the shows were done, they laid me off, which was typical. Uh, but um, I, the people from Disney, uh, I'm sorry, the people from Hannah, the Smurfs, I mean, went to Disney and they gave me a call and wanted to know if I wanted to be a production assistant. So I didn't have to think about that. That's really yeah. what I wanted to be, you know? <laughs> And I took that job, 1988 is when that was. And I was going to work on a show called Magic Kingdom, which was an animated series, which would have had Mickey, Donald and Goofy and um, taking place in kind of a, a hybrid Disney park of like Disneyland and Disney World and everything put to whatever attraction they were gonna visit for the day, you know, it could be in any of the parks. And um, so I, it, it ended up, they decided to do some more DuckTales and I worked on those and I became an assistant producer and I worked on Tailspin. And that was kind of how I got there and, and what, my, my, what my main job was there. That's great. I ever since you said Smurfs, I have the Smurfs theme song now stuck in my head. So I'm sure throughout this throughout this whole conversation, oh, yeah. I'm going to be singing it in my head. Yeah. But, uh, a little thing with that was Lucille Bliss was the voice of Smurfette, and she was um, uh, she was in Cinderella. Was she? I think was she Anastasia, which was that? Oh, I should know. Isn't that terrible? But she was really sweet, so nice, and we used to go out to lunch all the time. And then I wanted to do a project. Uh, a Disney story, or well, I was proposing it to Disney software, but it was a story book that you would see on your computer and you would listen along to it with your uh, headphones or your tape recorder or whatever. Right. And Lucille recorded this for me. She did the voice of my burrow in my story and uh, Hanna-Barbera let me record it there. But um, we did this whole thing and 
then Disney, Disney, I ended up working at Disney software, but they never did my storybook idea, <laughs> but it was a fun experience, you know? Yeah. That's a great memory, a great experience. And, uh, it's so nice that she was, she was so kind to record some of that for you. Um, yeah. You know, we, I, I think we're going to be bouncing from topic to topic a bit because oh, yeah. I, I, we have so much to cover. And I, I feel like we could devote an entire episode to talking about your experiences on DuckTales and Tailspin. But let's just bounce around a little bit because sure. beyond animation, you did so much as a cast member. Can you provide a few examples of some of the other work you did while you were a cast member at Disney? Now, what's interesting is that I never considered myself a cast member because cast members were only Disneyland or Disney Park employees eventually. Um, and we weren't called cast members, we were employees. In fact, we had the employee center and at the studio and my wife worked at the employee center. So it's interesting <laughs> to this day when people say you were a cast member because it's kind of become anyone who works for Disney. Yeah, you know, originally It was because you're part of the Disney show and if you're on stage, you're a cast member, you're part of the cast and you know, you play that role and everything. Uh, but that didn't answer your question whatsoever. <laughs> but it did yeah. provide some good Disney history that they've, they've <laughs> clearly changed it over the years to be yeah. almost like a generic, yeah. everybody, an employee is a cast member uh, yeah. these days for the most part. But to answer your question, so I, I was doing um, animation in animation. I wasn't an artist, right? but from there I did do Disney software. I became an assistant producer there. Kind of got that job because the one of the producers at Disney Software was doing a new game of DuckTales. And he wanted our producer to look over the game and just make sure it kind of stay, stayed true to it. And my producer, Bob Hathcock, um, his, he trusted me enough that he let me look over the whole game. And I knew computers and computer games, so it was really fun. And um, so then I ended up moving to Disney Software. And I was there for a while, but in the meantime, I picked up a lot of work doing photography because I loved photography. And I, that was a side thing, not necessarily for pay, but it was during my Disney days. And it, it, there were so many wonderful events. And I mean, we had one of my favorites ever, the Disney Legends Awards ceremonies that we had on the studio lot and those early ones. Uh, but we had lots of studio events and I always had my camera. And a lot of times people didn't have their camera. They didn't think of it. So they would ask me to take, you know, could you take my picture? And these weren't even people I necessarily knew. And I would take their picture. I loved when that happened because they would be like, okay, just can you enter office it to me over at home video or over at, you know, consumer products or wherever. So it was a great way for me to meet people. But then the word spread that I take pictures and I got these press passes Sometimes I would even call myself like the Rose Parade. I don't know whether I called or whether they asked me to, but like if Disney was going to have some floats in the Rose Parade, the Disney newsreel, which was a studio newsletter, would have me go and take pictures. And I didn't need pay. I got a press pass. You get there early. They treat you like royalty, you know, or the Disney American Teacher Awards, I think is what they were called, which was lots of fun because they had guests like Betty White or Johnny Carson or really just top name presenters to present these teacher awards. And I would get press passes and I would do it. So a lot of those, I'd go to the, um, a lot of the premieres at Disneyland, things like that. So that was pretty much, and then the other thing, I did get to write some commercials just to, but uh, for DuckTales when I was working at Disney. Oh, nice. I wish I could see those. I don't know if they <laughs> exist anywhere. Maybe on YouTube somewhere. Someone I've might tried. have posted them. We'll, we'll have to try to see if we can find them somewhere deep in the rabbit hole yeah. of YouTube. <laughs> yeah, they're about Bubba. One was about Bubba Duck. And um, one was, I think, about uh, Gizmo Duck. Oh, nice. And that, but, um, and that, I think, was most of my uh, 
work during that time before I left Disney. But then some of my official work with Disney, I've I've did a fun one was I got to work on a cruise, a Disney cruise show um, where they had Cubby and Sherry from the Mickey Mouse Club, the original, you know, Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. Um, And I got because they um, the lady who was producing it knew me as a historian. She had me involved just from a history standpoint. And um, that was fun going over all their pictures and videos and just working with them. Both super nice people, as you would expect. I think anyone Walt hired, (laughs) but he had a great, great just kind of feel for who to hire, especially with those Mouseketeers. Cubby was not an actor or a singer or anything, but Walt sensed something, you know, but I worked on that cruise ship show. Be careful with that word. I almost <laughs> stuttered. <laughs> it wasn't very Disney. Um, cruise ship show. Um, and uh, what are some other things? I, I, a fun one was I bought some CDs at Disneyland. They had these machines on Tomorrowland, in Tomorrowland and on Main Street where you can make your own CDs of Disney Park attractions. And I bought them and I was a little bit disappointed in a couple of things. So I wrote to the people who made them at the time they were with Imagineering and they called me up and they said, can you do a sample? If you think you could make this sound better, can you do a sample? And I did and they hired me. So I ended up going through all the audio that they had, existing audio for every attraction they were selling. And this was for Disney World as well. They were called Walt Disney World Forever, I believe, and Disneyland Forever. And it would burn a CD for you. You choose 10 tracks and it would burn a CD for you. So I did all kinds of stuff with that. That was a lot of fun going through all those. And then sometimes I got a little creative. Um, I don't remember if I put it in, but like the Carousel Progress, I did two different tracks. One, I had the original, I had an old 1970s recording where you could hear the cast member saying, welcome to the Carousel of Progress and doing the spiel. So I had, now my wife was, she worked for Disney at Disneyland, later the studio, but she used to train the new employees when she worked for the Disney University. So she has a very Disney voice. So I had to record some of the spiels and things and I threw those, I I mixed those in. (laughs) And if you ever bought the It's a Small World track of the clock, you'll hear that it chimes for the time 5.30, which I did on purpose for two reasons. One, it's my anniversary with my wife. Oh, that's and awesome. And two, May, May 30th. Yeah, yeah. And also, that was the official grand opening day. Although they say the, the archives, and everyone attributes May 28th, I believe, to It's a Small World. But the 30th is when they had their big grand opening, and Walt Disney was there. My friend Connie was on the phone from, I think, Sweden? Uh, but she was on the phone internationally for that international theme and Walt tried to talk to her. And with the technology of 1966, it kind of got all all muffled and you heard half of what she said. Hopefully <laughs> yeah. we won't have that problem today. Here, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I don't know. I probably left out a lot. I, I, um, I love just kind of picking up work. I did do, as you mentioned, some writing for the archives. That was a ton of fun. That was for D23. Uh, I was asked to be involved in their website originally. And um, it was because I do love design. I love graphic art. I love all that kind of stuff. And I was going to be doing that. It wasn't being done by Disney. It was being done by an outside company. And one thing, all different things happened. I guess Disney ended up taking it over. And they brought me in to do, they thought I was just a computer guy, with one one of the people who was working on it. Excuse me. So he asked me to do some computer work. And then he just had they were doing this day in Disney. They wanted to do on the website, this day in Disney, it would change every day. 
So he wanted me to kind of gather some information. I don't know if how he found out that I could do this or whatever, and just kind of put together topics. So I ended up writing the first bunch of articles. And I said, you don't have to use what I wrote, but I wrote it. You could use what you want. And I guess he liked it. I ended up doing two years worth of that. Uh, so, and they didn't really change much. And uh, that was a really fun thing. Dave Smith was the archivist. He founded the archives. Right. And, and we shared the same birthday. So I always oh, wrote wow. On our birthday, yeah. And the funny thing, Becky, who who took over, actually has the same birthday as my son. So I always wish her a happy birthday, also. But <laughs> but yeah, Dave had to look over all my work, and um, I'll tell you a funny story about that. Even though yeah. you haven't asked me a question for a while, so I no, no, go ahead. No, this is taking these over, are, but, but I would have probably prompted the story, the question anyway. So we'll we'll, okay. we'll pretend I asked the question here. Go okay. ahead. Let's let's hear the story. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so a funny story with that. I was very, very proud. I never had any mistakes, any factual mistakes, because Dave looked over all of my articles that I would write. But there was just one thing. I tried to be funny when I would write. I tried to do puns and different jokes just to kind of make it a little more entertaining. Yeah. There's one title that always messes me up, and I believe it's Sammy the Way Out Seal. And I always, for some reason, get confused. And I think it's Sammy the Way Out Sea Lion. I don't know why. I have no idea. They're I'm similar. pretty sure it's Seal. I think I'm yeah. saying it right. So I did really good. But somewhere in that little article, I wrote Sammy the Way Out Sea Lion. And Dave, who was just so sweet, he didn't say, you got it wrong. He wrote to me and said, everything looks good. I just don't understand the joke about the sea lion. So he thought <laughs> I'm doing another pun or something. And I had to admit, no, I just blew it on that one. So. <laughs> but that, yeah, that was fun. I had to write about, what was it? Cheetah? No, not Cheetah Girls? Coyote Ugly? I mean, just things that were because they were ABC or something. So some of them took some real research. But I've got to tell you, going into the archives was fun. When I would, uh, there was a, a few, at least one discovery I made, which I couldn't believe when I was doing some research for 1965 uh, for a different story. And that's the way so many things go is you, you research one thing for fun and you're led like our conversation is going to be, you know, yeah. you're led on to so many different topics and, and so many different discoveries, you know, it's the rabbit hole of information. There's so much yeah. <laughs> to uncover. What yeah. I love is beside uh, from the fact that it's almost like you were born to do this for Disney, just based on some of those interesting like the anniversary overlapping with us with small world and the same birthdays yeah. is just a lot of disney synergy there is i feel like if you were working at disney during walt's time that you would have had a similar experience for walt being famous for tapping into people's talents and if you were like with the, the album example uh you know, finding like there are a couple of ways to maybe improve it. If you had said that to Walt, you would have been the first to say, well, you stick to it and tell me, and you know, when you figure out what makes it the best it can be. Um, I don't think I was any different than anyone else. And I'm no Walt Disney by any means, <laughs> but um, I've heard so many people tell me that he would ask for their opinion. Yeah. And they didn't even think that it was any big deal. And then they'd see a change or something based on what they told him. And he really cared so much. And my one of my favorite compliments, I'm sure she's going to listen to this, Connie Swanson, Connie Swanson Lane now, was a 1966 Disneyland ambassador. And she, and she worked with Walt a lot. 
she's such a dear, dear friend. And she went, and like I said, she probably doesn't even remember she told me this, but she once said, Walt would have really liked you. And I just <laughs> found that to be so neat. And I, I like to think that he would have liked me, you know, and that I would have been worthy of him liking me. So, yeah. That's probably one of the highest compliments as a Disney fan you can get is to That's say, for yeah, someone to say that Walt would have liked you. I'm, I'm glad someone you brought up. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Connie because that was one of the questions I was going to ask and what we'll jump around, as I said, a little bit here. But uh, Connie was part of the Disneyland Ambassador Program, and I know that is yeah. pretty close to your heart. So what yeah. was it about the Disneyland? Oh, did she have any stories about the program? And, and for you, what makes the program so special? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I wanted to interview... Julie Ream, who I thought was the first ambassador. And you'll notice I say, I thought, I'll get back to that. <laughs> um, and I did get to interview her. It's really funny because I was really put on the spot with that. I remember going back and forth with emails and I guess she wrote back to me and I never got it. So one day I called and I just said, would you be interested still? And she said, oh yeah, I'll do it right now if you want. And I'm like, I go get my questions. No, I've got time right now. I was just like, taking it back. It's like, Okay, she ended up to be very nice, you know, but um, what happened was through that, uh, because I had asked someone if I could get in touch with Julie, and it was someone who was an ambassador at the time, they were having an ambassador party, and they invited me to go and interview Cicely Rigdon, and she was the head of the ambassadors for many years, and in fact, I'm working on a video lately, she was the head of the tour guides for a while, and uh, I did go, it turned out I didn't get to interview her. Later, I interviewed her at her house, but she ended up not going to this party. And I said, do you mind if I just talk to some of the ambassadors who are going to be there? There was a big get together of these ambassadors. I should say what an ambassador is. I should give a little bit of that for yeah, those yeah. who don't know, you know, also. But anyways, I, I learned so many of their stories and just simple questions that day. What year were you ambassador? What projects did you work on? And it was just great. There were so many people. I, I remember like my one of my favorite things at Disneyland was America Sings. And one of them was there at the grand opening of America Sings with Fulton Burley, who uh, I could go on about. But he was in my favorite show at the park called The Golden Horse Review. And he was the host that day with Burl Ives, whose voice was Sam the Eagle. And this was in what used to be Carousel Progress. It was in another Carousel Theater. But anyways, that's to show you, you know, so everyone I spoke to, one lady, uh, Sherry, uh, Sherry Beskos at the time, was there for the grand opening of the Haunted Mansion and just had a neat story about leading the press to the grand opening, you know, uh, to the attraction on the grand opening. So the, the uh, Ambassador program originally was put together, it was thought up by Jack Lindquist, who I became friends with. Jack was just a genius in marketing. He started at Disney in 1955. He was there on opening day, but he wasn't working for Disney. He was working for a different company that was a sponsor of Disneyland, Kelvinator. And so he was invited for that. And um, we became friends and we would have lunch and he would tell me stories and I didn't record them all, unfortunately, because you kind of can't talk to people and always have your voice recorder on. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I plenty of times I said, do you mind if I record this? You know, Can you tell me that story again? <laughs> and he came up with the ambassador program and it, he wanted it to be like a cross between Miss America and 
uh, it was a few different things. Boy, see, this is where I have to go back to my interview and I have it recorded. Right. But, um, you know, he, she would represent Disneyland, but he wanted someone who would be really prominent or, you know, you'd know her face. The public would know her face. You would turn on the Tonight Show and here's the latest Disneyland ambassador. And it's just a great idea because it promotes Disneyland. And they had a great screening process and they would get people who look the Disney part, who can act the Disney part and can represent Walt. At the time, early on, it was not just Disneyland they were representing. And this was really just the first, uh, well, I'll, I'll say the first three, but I'll tell you about five people. But it was Disneyland, it was Walt. You were representing Walt himself. And if Walt couldn't make it somewhere, you may be there representing Walt and the studio. So those early ambassadors, so you had Julie, you had Connie, and you had Marcia Minor. Um, now, Walt passed away just before Marcia was ambassador. She, he was uh, alive when she won, and then he passed away at the end of 1966, and she was the 1967 ambassador. And you can see here, there's a Wonderful World of Color episode called From Pirates of the Caribbean to the World of Tomorrow. Um, it, they have a little title screen at the beginning. You probably know this, but they have this little title screen at the beginning after the theme song. And the announcer says something completely different. It's like from Pirates to Tomorrowland, I think is what they, he says. And the title screen says like from Pirates of the Caribbean to the world of tomorrow or something. Like that. <laughs> I don't know what the official title is, but because Walt, now Walt always hosted the wonderful world of color, but now he passed away. So Marcia who I'm still in touch with today, she got to host the wonderful an episode of the Wonderful World of Color as oh, wow. the Disneyland ambassador of 1967. And they had a green screen behind her because Walt didn't actually, he wasn't in the park when he would do these. It looked like he was maybe because they had film of the park behind him. So Marcia was the third ambassador of the official ambassador program. So 1965, it was for the 10th Centennial. That was the official start of the ambassador program. Now, when I was, I actually said earlier how I found a pretty big discovery when I was looking in the archives in 1965. Yeah. yeah. I was looking to find out, I, I don't know if it was about Julie or I think of just 10 Centennial celebration stuff. And I found a letter. It was to Julie Ream congratulating her on becoming Miss Disneyland 1965, because in those early days, the ambassadors were called Miss Disneyland also. Um, and it was signed from Miss Disneyland 1962. Now, if you ask the archives, or if you ask, and I did ask Dave Smith, and I said, who was Disney, Miss Disneyland 1962? <laughs> yeah. I said, no, 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 you're, you're confused, it was 1965. I have an email from Dave telling me, you know, he didn't know, and I'm not, I, I, I'm not putting him down, please don't yeah, yeah. get the wrong, and I'm not trying to show anybody up by any means. But when you make a discovery, it's like, wow. So, it was signed Valerie Watson. And I called up Jack Lindquist and I said, first of all, was there any, you know, connection? I mean, this was Miss Disneyland. And he said, no, but I find that hard to believe. And I'm, I love Jack, but I wonder if he wants to take credit for the program himself, but I'm going <laughs> to tell you the facts only, which is he put me in touch with Valerie Watson who passed away only a few months after I spoke to her. Oh, she wow. was very, very sick. She could she could hardly talk. I, I don't like to even say that, um, you know, but she was gracious enough to talk to me. And she didn't really like to talk about it, she, she said, um, but she told me the whole story. 
And then she couldn't talk anymore and hung up and said she would talk to me the next day, but I never spoke to her again. Wow. And um, it was in 1962. Now I want to get this, this, the film title, right. I think it was moon pilot, but this was going to be at radio city music hall. Walt was having his first big stage show outside of Disneyland. And it was at radio city music hall. It was called Disneyland USA. And it was actually the head, Russell Browning, I believe is the name. It was the head of Radio City Music Hall. And he suggested that to help promote this and promote the film, they have an ambassadress, not ambassador, but ambassadress. Now, after she told me this, I did more research and I actually found a press release and everything announcing the 1962 Miss Disneyland ambassadress, Valerie Watson. And she did go to Radio City and she talked on the radio. I have photos. Her son ended up sending me some photos of her with the characters and different. I have pictures of her with her Miss Disneyland sash. And then I found a newspaper article where she was invited to Washington, D.C. because she, I guess, somehow they were so impressed with her. They wanted to show her around, you know. <laughs> Um, but she was the, really the first Miss Disneyland. You can't deny that. So whether there's a connection or not, I will let you and anyone listening to make that judgment. But an amazing thing happened to me on New Year's Eve about 12 years ago, I think it was. I had my Valerie Watson story on my website and I got an email New Year's Eve from someone, from someone named uh, Carol Tully. And the funny thing, Connie had given me photos of Carol and a bunch of photos. She knew I would love these old vintage Disney photos. And she gave me these photos and said, that's Carol Tully. And she was in another country with what looked like a reindeer or something and an odd hat. And on New Year's Eve, I got this email from Carol saying, I was Miss Disneyland 1964. And I enjoyed your story about Valerie Watson if I could help you ever fill in any holes in your history, let me know. <laughs> I wrote back immediately. Of course. She was shocked because this was New Year's Eve. You know? <laughs> in fact, almost every New Year's Eve to this day, we, I mean, we're really good friends. We talk all the time. But almost every New Year's Eve, we write back and forth on our <laughs> anniversary, I guess. You know? And um, what happened was in 1963, there was not a Miss Disneyland. Um, but in 1964... Carol was named Miss Disneyland and she was sent all over the world. Those photos were from Lapland where she oh, wow. represented Disney. And she even has the hat still that she wore that was gifted to her in Lapland. They also gifted her that live reindeer, uh, but she did not take that back <laughs> with her, but they really did. And she has pictures of her in Tivoli Gardens with Walt Disney. She has a neat picture of her taking a picture of Walt Disney and the head of Tivoli Gardens. And then she also has the picture she took of Walt and the head of Tivoli Gardens. Oh, that's cool. But she was Miss Disneyland. It wasn't a full year. And so she was Miss Disneyland 1964. And then the next year was Miss Disneyland 1965, which was Julie. So there, to, in my mind, I'll say, there's no doubt. I think there was inspiration. And I don't want to take anything away from Jack, because really, the ambassador program was one of the things he was most proud of. And I don't think it makes him any less important in the creation. I mean, and, and for those who don't know, Jack came up with ideas like Disney dollars, 
which has an amazing history. I mean, because he, even he got all the places around Disneyland, non-Disney places to accept Disney currency, you know, <laughs> um, so many ideas that he had. And the ambassador program was one of the many great, wonderful ideas. So that's kind of my, you know, why I kind of have a love of the ambassador. Connie is a dear, dear friend. Carol is a dear, dear friend. Marcia, I, I, I think she's so sweet. I'm still in touch with her. And so many of the others who I, I've just met or talked to uh, and learned their stories. And each story is another puzzle piece to the history of Disney, you know? Yeah, that's what makes it very exciting. And I think that to your point, Jack, of course, had so many incredible ideas. He was certainly a genius in marketing. And another genius thing you can do is to take even a germ of an idea and blow it up into a tremendous program. So even then, like you could say that he was the originator of of maybe the maybe not the initial you know initial ideas that came about, but made it into the tremendous program that it that it became. So sure. Yeah, it wasn't an ambassador program by any means. And definitely right. it was a whole lot more. But even Carol did the hospital visits, uh, a huge part of the ambassador program that the public doesn't know about a lot are these hospital visits, where they go. And it's not for Disney to make money, not for publicity. It's just to bring the joy of Disney to kids. You know, they're having a hard time in life and you bring a little bit, you bring Mickey Mouse and the characters and the ambassador. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that, but um, that even Carol did that even, you know, as Miss Disneyland before the official program started. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, Disney creates happiness. And I think in, in sure. ways that face the public and then ways behind closed doors or maybe not public facing is certainly the case. And, you know, you're, you're mentioning a lot of people that you've you've met and interacted with and and certainly, um, you know, some of those Disneyland ambassadors and Miss Disneyland is, is a couple of great examples there. Uh, one, I person or you know that I definitely wanted to to ask about because you had in the video series mentioned it and I wanted to to hear the story is mm -hmm. uh the the legendary Robert Sherman um and that you even had the chance to uh like almost become friends with with Robert so yeah. how did how did that friendship uh, develop it's it's because of those early Disney legend ceremonies now, when I talk about them today, they have Disney Legend ceremonies where they're kind of big deals and the public is invited and they're down, you know, they're part of the D23 kind of big um, expos that they have. But they started as small events on the studio lot. And I was working at the studio, so I was allowed to go. That's the only way, you know, and the, the press was allowed to go. Um, very little press even was there. And I remember that I, like you, I'm sure grew up with their music and knowing their yeah. name. I remember seeing it was a 19, I was very young and I had a 45, which us old people know the records, there were 33 and there was 45, it was 33 and third to be exact, RPM, you know, but the small record, it was a single and it was Winnie the Pooh and it said Robert, Richard M and Robert B. Sherman. So I knew their name and then just kind of, even, you know, that was, I was very young to have that. And then I got one of my first gifts or souvenirs I ever got from Disneyland. A trip there was uh, the Tiki Room 45. And again, there's their name. And then I got the Carousel Progress 45. <laughs> and um, so anyways, I was really, I, I knew, I didn't know nearly as much as I know now, but um, I knew their name very well. So they were going to be honored at the studio. I remember opening the studio newsreel 
and seeing who is going to be honored. I still remember that moment sitting in my chair. I mean, this was a long time ago. This was in the 90s at least. But um, anyway, so I went, I took pictures. Somehow I got in touch with them. Uh, who knows how? And I said, I've got some pictures from the event if you're interested, and I'd be happy to give them to you. Well, I got, I was very surprised because both Bob and Dick called him, and and I, I should say Richard. He was Dick at the time, but yeah, now he's Richard. He, he, yeah, he did. Uh, he did used to go by Dick. Yeah, Bob and Richard, and they both invited me to have lunch at the Smokehouse Restaurant in Burbank, which was near the studio. And I had lunch with the, the two of them, and it was just whatever we talked about, whatever. And so cool. it was not for work. It was because I brought down my pictures and they were both going to choose whichever pictures they wanted me to print for them from that ceremony. They both offered to pay. I would not take payment, but they both, I will say they both offered <laughs> to pay for the prints, you know, but, um, but that was the start of it. And, um, and I do think they're both such nice people, but yeah, with Bob, we did become closer friends, not to say I care any less about Richard. Um, super nice guy. But um, when I brought the pictures over to him just to deliver them to his house and he invited me in and we talked, it was very, at first you're sitting in this room and you see his Grammy and you see his Academy <laughs> Award for Mary Poppins and all this. And then you very quickly forget about it. Yeah. And you talk just like you and I are talking today where you, you're really interested in what they're saying, but it's not, it's just a neat, pleasant conversation. You know, it, in that case, he was just a whole lot more fascinating than me, but you know, it's this kind of a conversation like you and I are having. And, um, and I remember a funny thing with that. I remember when he asked if I wanted any coffee, I thought I was done. I thought I was there long enough and I didn't drink coffee at the time. So I, said, you know, sure, I'll have coffee because I knew I could stay longer if I had <laughs> right. And I did. I had coffee. I have some, I put this in a video and someone wrote to me recently on Instagram and said, so do you drink coffee now? And I thought that was just kind of really funny. <laughs> but yeah, because of Bob. You know? right. <laughs> I don't know if that's really why, but, um, but what now I, there was a, a singer, it's really funny in life, how many things, and you probably find this too, are Disney connected. Oh yeah. Like, even at Hanna-Barbera, well, Hanna I guess it's not a far stretch being animation, but just so many things. In fact, there's a jazz singer that I love, loved, wonderful man, Paige Kavanaugh. And I met him because I went to a concert at the Greek theater for a singer named Michael Feinstein. And Michael sang all the old songs that I love. I was always an old soul with music. And Michael... Uh, was kind of, they've called him the ambassador of the Great American Songbook. And I was just at a concert that Michael did. And um, this, the special guest was Paige Kavanaugh. And I'll get back to Bob Sherman, this is going to relate. But um, anyway, so the special guest was Paige Kavanaugh and his jazz trio, Paige Kavanaugh trio. And they said that he performs in Burbank at the Money Tree restaurant. And that was right across from where I was working, literally walk across the street. So every night I used to go, every every night he was there after that concert, I used to go. And it turned out Paige and his trio were the voices in the Disney cartoon, The Truth About Mother Goose, the short. Oh, wow, yeah. And um, but so everyone you meet, you know, but this had nothing to do with Disney. And Michael had nothing to do with Disney. And, and the funny thing is I ended up working with Michael on uh, a tribute 
who was that? Oh gosh, who passed away? I did all these tributes to people. Oh my God. Oh, it was Paige's tribute. You know that? It was for Paige. <laughs> but we had Bob Sherman come and we had Catherine Beaumont, the voice of Alice in Wonderland. We had all these, so there's all these Disney connections because I started doing these different memorial tributes. The first one I was asked to do was for Fulton Burley, who was in the Golden Horseshoe. Um, because, so we had Michael and he came and I asked him to sing a song for Paige and everything. Now getting back, so I was a huge fan of Michael's. I'm at Bob's house and I think we were just talking about music. And I said, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have a lot of favorites and things, but Michael Feinstein is one of my favorite singers. And he said, Michael just recorded some of our songs. <laughs> it was the ugly bug ball, 10 feet off the ground. One of them, I think 10 feet off the ground, but one of them he did with Rosemary Clooney, one of my very favorite singers. And the, the, the people who love the music of the 40s know who she is. I got to hold cue cards for her. Before I worked for Disney, I did cue cards, but That's so cool. I got to hold cue cards for her. And here's a Sherman song with Michael Feinstein and Rosemary Clooney. And then the other one was, and this one I don't think Michael ever released. It was The Eyes of Love, which the Sherman brothers wrote from Mary Poppins and was cut right. from the film. And Michael did a beautiful rendition of that. So I'm in Bob's house having my coffee, enjoying it. You know? And he played that, that song of Michael singing the eyes of love. And at that time, that was the first time I ever heard the, the eyes of love. It's a beautiful and song. It, it just was um, now with Bob, we could just talk so easily. I remember he had a neat sense of humor. Uh, he was super warm and friendly. I mean, I really just from the start felt, sometimes you feel a connection with people, you know, and I felt one right away. I remember the first time I introduced my wife, Shaney, to Bob and very soft-spoken. And he said, you know, Shaney means beautiful and you are. And I just thought that was so sweet. So sweet. And to give you another idea, I'm friends with his son, Robbie. Robbie, I'm sorry and or, or anyone <laughs> for saying this, but I brought just, it gives you an idea of just how humble he was. So I brought Shaney over. It's the first time Shaney was going to his house. And I don't even remember why. I think maybe I, we were just getting together with Robbie, uh, his son, but, but I remember Bob came down the stairs, you ring the doorbell, you know, in his place, it's a small world. <laughs> and anyways, Bob came down the stairs in his robe and everything, just not <laughs> dressed. And he, he was just very humble, I felt. You know, that was my take on him. But what a genius, you know, both of them together. And I know they, they definitely had their sibling rivalry, whatever you want to call it. But I could tell you they both respect or respected each other tremendously. And what geniuses, you know. Absolutely. That, that's geniuses. something, I mean, you, I know you've talked to some, some people too, just to, to be able to talk to those type of people. But yeah, Bob was, there was really something I felt unique in that I felt really comfortable talking with him. And like he was a family member, I could really say that's how I felt about him. Really neat guy. We could absolutely go down this rabbit hole, and I'm tempted to. I think the only <laughs> question I, I would want to ask is if he shared any. I'm sure he had a, a lot of amazing stories about Walt, but any any stories about Walt that might have um, stuck out as a as an interesting or noteworthy story that you might not have heard before, or you found to be particularly interesting. I'm sure you, you know, have plenty. <laughs> I have more. I, I I've talked to Richard and and. 
he's let me record the conversation. So I have some neat stories. I'm working on one of one of my videos right now about a conversation we had about the wonderful world of color theme song and some of the other songs they did. But, you know, there's a bunch of people I never thought of recording and Bob was one and, and largely because well, in those days, first of all, you didn't have your phone. You couldn't just turn on a, a recorder. Of course. And it would have to be a tape recorder, it, you know. And I just never thought about it until 2007. So it was a little late for some people. And just because Bob was a friend, I'm really, because I thought of him more like a friend, I never even thought of calling him and saying, can I record an interview with you? It's yeah. crazy to think I didn't do that. Um, to answer your question, there's not a lot of really unique stories, but when you told them to me, they were unique. The, the Tiki Room um, and how w there was, uh, I remember talking to him, I remember being in his house talking to him about the Tiki Room and Small World uh, in particular. Now, luckily, he and, and Richard have a lot of the same stories, even though they may be different takes on the stories a little bit. The facts are all there, you know. Right. Uh, but the Tiki Room... They Wally Bogue, who wrote the Tiki Room, who also I also got to become friends with, and he was the star of the Golden Horseshoe Review, also later with Fulton. But um, and great stories with that too. But Wally was is the voice to this day. You know his voice is in there in Disneyland as the voice of Jose. Fulton is Michael. Wally told me that Michael uh, that Michael came over and helped Fulton know that uh, Fulton came over and helped write the Tiki Room with him. I mean, Fulton doesn't really get credit for that. Wally really does. But Walt had Wally writing because he loved his sense of humor. And when they were done, they had a show, but Walt felt that they just didn't, they were, like, why are the birds all gathered in this room? What's the point? You know, they're doing a show or what? And they had the Shermans, he had the Shermans put together a song. And that's exactly what the Tiki Room song explains, you know, welcome to our tropical hideaway, you know, and then we're, I can't think of all the words uh, on the spot, but, you yeah. know, if we weren't in the show starting right away, we'd be in the audience too and things <laughs> like that. So it, it explains why you're here. We're just birds putting on a show. And then Small World, I remember really distinctly Bob telling me about how he and Richard wanted to give the proceeds of It's a Small World to UNICEF, which was the sponsor of It's a Small World at the World's Fair, where it started. And Walt pulled the car to the side of the road and told them that that song is going to put your kids through college. Now, <laughs> I hope I'm telling you this the right way. And I know I think Richard has told this story also. But I remember Bob telling me the story anyway. Like I said, I wish, you know, with the recordings, you can listen again and again and remember. But I remember him very, very much telling me that. There was also one thing I remember in his house was a picture of he and Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson's chimpanzee bubbles. Oh, wow. And just because Michael Jackson was a huge fan of Disney and the Sherman brothers, and he wanted to meet them. So and, and I, until this moment, I actually forgot about that picture. I should ask Robbie for that. <laughs> it's for a copy. But yeah, of, of him with bubbles, Michael Jackson and his, and his chimp bubbles. That's what, I, that's what comes to me at the top of my head, you know, with, with some of the stories about Bob. Yeah, that's so cool. I it's amazing to I have spoken with a, a few people who have known knew Walt or, or worked with Walt, and it's always amazing <laughs> yeah. to hear their stories. I feel like you get to know Walt a lot more through those those secondhand stories, um, more so than what you would see on TV or through videos uh, or through the archives. Yeah. You just really get a sense of the the man behind the legend, and it's uh, always interesting to hear those those takes on things. I hear. So many good stories Me about too. Walt. 
and I have two things. I, I, I did. I, I the last time I spoke to Bob, in fact, I asked him to describe Walt, and Bob was very always simple. He could he could express himself very simply, and he just said, "A beautiful man." And then Mark Davis, who was my favorite artist, I got to, I did interview him as well, but we became friends and uh, who designed so much of what you see in the Haunted Mansion and, oh, and yeah. pirates and, and everything, you know, I'm, it's a small world. And not to mention he designed Tinkerbell and Cruella, Cruella and <laughs> was an animator, Yeah, but he was so fond of Walt and he would get mad. He said, he thinks that when people would say bad things, he said, he thinks it was just out of jealousy. And I have a recording of Mark telling me that, you know, Walt was, everyone is human. And maybe some people, you know, Walt might have, maybe he did get mad at people for not doing things his way, whatever. I'm sure it happened, but gosh, he's human. You know, let's not make these people, you know, more than they are. I think he was an absolute genius, you know, which really is why so many things like the park's, are still thriving today. Why so many of the films are still good today, you know, but he was human, but I, I, in time after time, these people tell me stories about Walt and just how special he was to them. You know, lots, lots of people, not, not, I, I don't, I can't think of bad things that they've said. Yeah, I can either. And all the conversations I've had with and I know you've had a lot more than I have with people who knew Walt. There's always yeah. a positive spin on a positive spin. There's a positive um, view of, of him always. Uh, so yeah. anything, anything negative I might've ever heard is all secondhand. There's never anything that's directly said from someone who knew Walt. Yeah. Anything really negative. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely a, a common theme. I see. There's a, a lot of ways we could go. Uh, so you know what's really um, funny? Isn't it funny? Pam is the one who introduced us for this. Yeah. <laughs> and I, she told me, I, I don't know if she, this is what she said, but I, in her email to me, she said, I told him he's going to have trouble keeping you down to just one topic. You know? <laughs> so I apologize for that, but boy, did she nail it, right? <laughs> no, I, don't apologize. I, I love rolling with the punches and, and going on all these different different directions. This is how my mind thinks too. So I can I can easily hop from one thing to the next. But uh, very similar, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but the podcast, I try to always bring it back to, to something. And actually, because you did bring up Pam, I should talk about Harriet a little bit. Uh, uh, yeah. Because of course, that's as you mentioned, our mutual connection and Harriet Burns' family has always been so kind to me. So I feel like we should talk oh about gosh, Harriet. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So uh, I actually did attend the Walt Disney Family Museum event that Pam and her daughter, Haley, who's been an, a guest on the show before, talked about Harriet. And I think they played a clip from one of the interviews that you did, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. So how did you, you know, it, come to meet Harriet? Or you could, you could share, go forever. Yeah, no, no. Anything, no. anywhere you want from here about Harry. <laughs> no, let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, no, it's really interesting because you say interview and it's funny because it's very much when, when you were uh, talking to me before this quote interview and how you said it's kind of more of a conversation and that's always yeah. what I did. And um, many of the interviews or whatever with Harriet, they're really just conversations, but she would let me, she knew, I don't, can I record this? Yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, that's what I would say to her. Yeah. You know, it's like we're having a conversation because she was just this wealth of Disney knowledge. And I will tell you, I'll answer your question to how we met, but you could talk to her about anything and she was somehow involved. I mean, when I was, uh, I had talked to Jay Meyer, who's one of those singing ghosts in the Haunted Mansion, and he didn't remember how they recorded, how they filmed, you know, 
his, uh, you know, his footage for the Haunted Mansion. So I was just talking to Harriet and I said, and my recorder was on, you know, and she knew it, but um, just so I don't get arrested for, you know, whatever, tapping the phone line or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I asked her, I said, you know, I was talking to Jay and he didn't remember it. Do you have any idea? She said, well, when they filmed me for Madame Leota, I said, what? <laughs> you know, wait, 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 what? Well, yeah, I was going to be Madame Leota. And I have this. In fact, I don't know if it's still on the uh, Walt Disney Family Museum website because Pam wrote an article and they used my actual audio uh, from it. If not, I'll, I'll do a video about this. Um, I should definitely do that. But yeah, yeah she, I have this where she told me this and she was going to be Madame Leota. And what's crazy is because of the times, um, you know, today with computers, you could do anything. You could take a face and you can stretch it or whatever but they filmed her and her face was too narrow for the attraction. I don't exactly understand, you know, whether, it, it, you know, going by, they wanted just a broader face or whatever. And, and I, you probably saw, you know, I did do a video where Blaine told me, Blaine Gibson, the sculptor, who was just wonderful friends with Harriet and a, another great guy. Uh, he did all those great sculptures. I mean, all the heads in the Pirates of the Caribbean, but he actually sculpted Madame Leota. And, that tells you when you go by and you see Madame Leota now and people who, you know, if you don't know, Madame Leota is the lady in the crystal ball in the Haunted Mansion. Now it floats, you know, I mean, in those days, it couldn't, there's a story there too with that, with the laser disc player. <laughs> but I, I accidentally stopped the video. Okay. Write that down or something. I'll tell you that <laughs> when I was in the control room. But, um, but anyway, so to, you know, growing up, I remember seeing Madame Leota and I remember trying to project things on like an object to see if I could make it look like it. But really they, they did this face mold of Madame Leota and Blaine sculpted it because the film had a match perfectly. They not only, even Jay, I, I saw Jay's face mold from when he did the Haunted Mansion because this is the detail that Walt had people go into, you know, just, you can't just have a face and project on it. It's got to match perfectly. And if you think about it, if it matches perfectly, you won't have excess. You know what I mean? You're not going to have a little sliver of film behind, you know, on the wall because the film itself has black around the head and then you project. I mean, it just, just the, the, you know, and it matches perfectly. So yeah, Harriet was going to be Leota and Leota is the real name of Harriet. She, Leota was working for Harriet at that time and she had a wider face. She wasn't a, 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 a you know, I don't know, I don't want to say fat, you know, because I don't like that term. I don't even think you would say she was overweight. She said, you know, a wider facial right. structure. And um, so because it was, and it was, I don't believe it was going to be Madame Harriet. Um, Harriet said it was going to be like Madame Lazanga. I don't know where that came from, but when she was talking <laughs> to me, she said I was going to be Madame Lazanga or whatever. I don't know. Knowing Harriet, that's a bad word. I don't know. Harriet loved <laughs> dirty jokes and all that. And I was sometimes, I wouldn't say shocked, but surprised because she was the epitome <laughs> of this sweet Southern lady and everything. So I don't know if I'm offending or if you're going to have to bleep Lazanga or whatever. <laughs> I don't even Probably know. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but then they kept the name Leota, whose last name, as you know, I'm sure you know, you know was Tombs, which was so perfect. So for perfect. I mean, you had Thurl Ravenscroft, who's another one of those singing statues. You know, uh, these were great Haunted Mansion names. It was probably serendipitous, you know, serendipitous. It's probably supposed to be. Um, but yeah, so I just was talking to Harriet just to give you an idea. And it's like she did the Haunted Mansion. She worked on everything. She worked on every attraction and movies. 
And um, it, it was just, okay, so I was writing a story, I don't even know for what or where, about the Pirates of the Caribbean. And I was talking to Alice, Mark Davis designed so many of the scenes of Pirates, two-dimensional, he would do the two-dimensional scenes. Blaine sculpted them. Har uh, Harriet did a lot of the set design. She put the hair one by one in the pirate's legs. She helped develop the skin, you know, all kinds of things. And then Alice, so Mark and Alice Davis, you could see their windows side by side on Main Street in Disneyland. Alice did costumes and Mark would sketch and everything. He told her what to do for it. Um, but anyways, I, I kept in touch with Mark and Alice and Alice had so many great stories. And she worked on Pirates of the Caribbean doing the costumes. In fact, if you look now, I'll, I'll kind of, I, so many things are this full circle, but if you look at footage of the opening day of the Colum of, of Pirates of the Caribbean uh, at Disneyland, and they had a big press event. And in fact, it was in that same wonderful world of color hosted by Marcia Minor. <laughs> and they go aboard the Columbia. Then you have Wally Bogue, who was aboard the Columbia, you know, the star of the Golden Horse Review, but Walt loved Wally and he would have him do all kinds of extra things. Like I said, he wrote the Tiki Room. So Wally is a pirate because he was a great entertainer and a dancer and everything. And Alice told me that jacket that Wally is wearing was actually created for the attraction. And if you look in the back of Wally on the ship, in fact, you'll even see Connie. Connie was a, a VIP hostess and you'll see Connie in this. Okay, I've got to make a video about that too because that's very visual. <laughs> but you'll see, uh, if you do get to watch that, you'll see Wally taunting Connie with his sword. And this wasn't part of the show, you know? But Connie yeah. was like an actress and she was in the Disney Drama Club. I don't know what the official name was, but they did the shows and everything. And so anyway, so down the back of Wally's jacket, you know, it was created. So the audio animatronics, you can open it up and fix the audio animatronics. And she had made two jackets, one for Wally, I mean, one for the, the attraction. And the other one that Wally wore was, wore was just a backup, which they later needed when there was a fire in the attraction, which is a whole other story. So all right. these people have these great stories. And Alice said, because I was talking to her about pirates and it was just as simple. She said, you've got to talk to Blaine Gibson and Harriet Burns. She gave me their number. She called them and told them I'd be contacting them. And that was it. And when I called Harriet, um, we got along so good and we just talked so easily and I laughed and I had fun. And there's just some people, you know, all so many people are very important to me. But you know, there's some that just stand out. And Bob Sherman was definitely one like we talked about. Harriet was one of those people. In fact, every time I would call her, the first thing she would say, how are your boys? Because I had two sons. And she talked to them on the phone. Henson was like five years old, but she put him on and she spoke to him. And Arnie, she might be, who was maybe nine, I guess at the time, and she said, what's your favorite attraction? And he said, I love It's a Small World. And oh. <laughs> she said, you know, well, you know, I worked with Blaine Gibson on those dolls. And when my daughter was a little girl, I actually used one of her uh, outfits for the prototype when we presented it to Walt Disney. And this was the way Harriet was, for me anyways. You know, she just was full of stories, truly cared, lots of fun. But whatever you say, she's got neat stories. 
you know, they, they had three prototypes they presented to Walt, you know, and um, they all liked the same doll. And that became like the main look for It's a Small World. And I, I've seen some of the other looks and I don't know if it's just because we're so used to It's a Small World, but um, it, when I see them now, it's like, I'm so glad they went with the one they were, you know, just a real <laughs> simple face, you know. But yeah, so Harriet had great stories. You never knew what would come out of her mouth. One time, you know, Walt Disney brought her little trinkets. Her, Waythel Rogers, and Fred Jerger, they worked in what they called the model shop, but they he would bring them little trinkets and like mechanical things to take apart and look at how they work and stuff like that. And one time he saw, she told me this story, a very kind of a typical Harriet one. So Walt saw a hat and, on, and he was, he was in Paris and it was in 1955 and he saw a hat with all kinds of mini, miniatures on it. I, I don't know if it was in a store or where, but so he asked about it and they told Walt where he either who made it. I, I should really find out the exact details, but where to get this or whatever it is. But the point of this story was that he, he gets in a taxi gives the guy the address that this person wrote down and the taxi driver drives him there. And Harriet tells me, and cause Walt would talk with her all the time. So she knew stories, you know, beyond just, you know, we're working on an attraction or something. Right. Well, what Walt wasn't aware of, do you know this story? Do you know where this is going? I don't going? think I know this where this is going. No. So I'm, I'm <laughs> like, I'm listening. I'm, I'm trying to think with that we close out episode 103 of the imagineer podcast i hope you found this first part of this two-part series to be as interesting as i found it to be and i know we left you on a cliffhanger there with that story about walt and his visit to paris but uh, you will only have to wait one week to uh, hear part two of our discussion and the remainder of that story about Walt. Plus, in part two, we're also going to talk about uh, a little bit more about Harriet Burns, a deep dive into the history of the Golden Horseshoe at Disneyland and many other stories. I want to, of course, thank Scott for coming on to Imagine Your Podcast to share all these fascinating stories. And I encourage you to definitely check out his website, mouseclubhouse.com, and especially the Keeping the Magic Alive video series on YouTube. And I have links to both of those places in the show notes below. Of course, I want to turn this conversation over to you and hear which of the stories from part one you found to be the most fascinating or perhaps the new piece of a new piece of Disney knowledge you didn't know before that you found to be the most interesting. You can send me your answers and feedback, as always, in so many different ways. And one of the easiest ways is to reach out on social media. You can follow Imagineer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and LinkedIn at Imagineer Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Imagineer News, and you can join our Facebook group, The Imagination, also called the Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community, to chat with me and with other members of this community about this topic and all things Disney. Plus, you could also send me an email at matt at imagineerpodcast.com. 
I'm going to switch up the order this week a little bit and actually next talk about our Patreon group, which is at patreon.com slash podcast. Because if you want to reach an even more exclusive community of listeners of this show who love all things Disney, Patreon is a way that you can help to support the show financially and in return get exclusive perks and benefits, including access to that private Facebook group as well as my close friends list on Instagram. Plus, some of the perks that are available include things like early access to all podcast episodes, access to my podcast production notes, bonus podcast episodes, and so much more. I'm just scratching the surface. You can see all the perks that are available by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. And thanks, as always, to the amazing members of our Patreon group. If you don't already subscribe to the show, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button so that you are the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And you can listen to the show in Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast app. And hitting that subscribe or follow button will ensure that you are the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. And if you have a few seconds or a couple of minutes to leave us a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts, that also does a lot to help us out. It not only supports the show by letting other listeners know what they can expect when they find Imagine Your Podcast, but it also helps to improve our ranking in Apple Podcasts, which makes the show even more discoverable for anyone searching for Disney or for Imagineering or any other Disney subject. And it all goes to help the show, as I mentioned. I'm so humbled that we have maintained a five-star rating over four years uh, here at Imagineer Podcast, and that is thanks to you. I do read each and every review that I see and will often even share them out on uh, my Instagram and Facebook stories. So thanks to those of you who have rated and reviewed the show in the past. And as I mentioned, if you haven't yet already, definitely take the opportunity to do so. Also check out our partners. First, check out The Kingdom Insider over at thekingdominsider.com and The Kingdom Insider on your favorite social media channel because they are a great source of reliable Disney news, which is hard to come by these days. But they can offer a lot of information about what's currently happening at Disney and what's to come in the future. They can also help you to make the most of your next Disney vacation and even provide tips for ways to bring the magic of Disney into your own home. So you can check them out at thekingdominsider.com and at The Kingdom Insider on your favorite social media channel. And the next time you're ready to book a vacation, whether you're headed to Walt Disney World or Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, Aulani, or any other Disney destination, certainly check out our travel partner, Academy Travel because they are diamond earmarked. That is an actual distinction from Disney recognizing them as one of the top providers of or or agents for Disney vacations. And they can help you to alleviate all the stress in planning out your next Disney vacation and help you to plan out all the details, especially these days. I find it could be a little challenging to book a trip to Disney and they can help you to alleviate all that stress and guesswork. Plus, they're aware of all the available discounts so they can even help to save you money and they do it at no additional charge to you. So you can request a free quote from them. There's no obligation to go any further if that's all you want, but you can request a free quote by clicking on the links in the show notes below or head to imagineyourpodcast.com. Click on the travel dropdown, select your destination and fill out that form and they will get back to you as soon as possible with that free quote. Last but not least, I want to encourage you as always to go after your hopes and your dreams and your goals, whatever they might be. And to take that first step today, I think Scott is a great example of how when you're passionate about something, 
and you put it out there into the universe and you start doing it, how all these new doors become available to you and so many new opportunities present themselves just by the nature of you following your dreams. So remember as always to go after your hopes and dreams and remember that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. Ooh.